is Eddie Briganza, executive editor of DC Comics, here watching one of our comic books come to life with my good friend and writer of this. Uh, this is Joe Kelly, um, the writer of uh, Superman vs. the Elite and Action 775, uh, which is a story that inspired it. And uh, yeah, here with Eddie to watch this fantastic adaptation, which I'm really excited about. There's some pretty cool stuff. I mean, it's amazing how we got into this, how we created this. Mostly all, all from anger. <laughs> Speaking of anger, we start with all sorts of uh, violence and destruction. Yeah, our kid-friendly Dr. Light. <laughs> Actually, that's why he got picked uh, for this little opening sequence, was uh, as a reference to uh, Crisis and, you know, He's such a nasty character, that's kind of why I put him in up there. Right, loathe them, and he's gotten away with things, and all they ever do is put him back in prison, which is the whole kind of thing behind this. Right. Um, and just to go back to what Eddie just said, the, uh, the source of the story <laughs> coming from a, a place of anger. Time to take your medicine, love. There's a tendency towards dark superheroes, and it was especially prevalent, you know, going into the end of the 90s, and and I like all this stuff, and like I said, I, I write dark books, and, you know, I like sort of darker characters. Um, but there were some stories in particular that were kind of getting to me, um, where I felt like it wasn't just sort of examining the anti-hero or examining kind of like Superman-type characters in a, you know, post-modern uh, way that they were really sort of going after the fans. Like, if you like this stuff, you're sort of a dope. Um, and Eddie and I talked about it, and I thought, you know, is there a way that we could do a story addressing this? There you are. Um, yeah, the funny thing is, like, you say you write dark things, but to me, when, you know, picked you as a writer for Superman was the fact that you believed in all this stuff. You never took it as, you know, it being funny. And, you know, as we're seeing here is, like, Superman's got taken for granted, and he's considered, you know, this kind of cartoony character who's a, a kind of, um, you know, Boy Scout. And you, you really took to heart what he meant. And it, it was never, it was, you know, never considered a joke, which is fun that you've actually then, you know, created this cartoon that's kind of the perception of Superman, what he's become. He's kind of like out of step with the world. Got a couple of big fish, Superman. And without a net. Right. Well, this uh, yeah, this opening sequence of the uh, the fake Superman cartoon was really funny, and it was it's exactly that. It's just sort of maybe for somebody who hasn't watched one of these uh, types of adaptations or sort of seen what these films are like. That is the perception of Superman by so many people, um, certainly non-fans. It wasn't that bad. Yeah, even like the Super Friends sound effect. Again, it, it gives yeah. you that thing that the, <laughs> Superman is for kids. And as soon as you, you pop into the real world, one of the things, again, that you did excellent on, on the comic was the fact that you believed in the relationship of Lois and Clark and that they were a young couple very much in love. And they 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 were physical with each other. And, and it was very believable. And do you get creative input? And they're partners, too, which I think comes off in this uh, film, and it was something that that Alan uh, Burnett was really pushing, you know, is sort of how can we increase Lois's role? Because in the comic, Lois is really important as an emotional touchstone. Uh, she doesn't play into the plot that much, but here we wanted to work her in a little bit better and give her a meatier role. And the sense of them is not just as a couple, but as a working couple that kind of help one another out. And their peers, I think, 
it comes off really great, and I'm really happy about that, and the performance is uh, pretty fantastic. That's cool. I have a question for you coming up, though. Why, why doesn't Superman attack him right there? That's an excellent question. The, uh, I think that that's literally just a pacing thing and wanted to make sure that they showed what was happening and, you know, being able to see is theoretically very far away right there. Um, just be, it's just a pacing of the show itself. Okay. Um, and originally that was actually going to be uh, the parasite. But that got changed um, sort of midway through the thing, uh, I think, for, because he was being used in something else. So right. some, of the, some of the attack... You know, made a, it, Superman is really trying not to touch him. It's part of why he's so vicious in this first battle is to make sure he doesn't get close enough that the sort of parasite's power could get to him. It still works with the with the skull, though. Right, and you're creating a villain that obviously is really dangerous and has to be dealt in a, in a severe way, and Superman's still kind of keeping true to his, you know, moral center. And that also answers your question as to, you know, why didn't Superman get him immediately? I mean, we just, we really needed to show... This, you know, people are dying in this, uh, in this particular cartoon. It's not going to be a, oh, guys get hit and they just fall down and the people dust themselves off right. and they're okay. Right, this was a, a cool choice because also, you know, when we did 775, we don't open up with any of the normal supervillains that we have. Well, that was something that when we talked about the adaptation, um, again, working closely with Alan, who was really fantastic during this whole process, you know, DC was very cool about the the comic. You know, everybody who suggested it as a film were fans. But the question was, since it was so rooted in superhero lore and the kind of um, what we were going through at that time and, and our feelings about sort of darker superheroes at that time, how do you address a wider audience? So part of it was we couldn't, we couldn't ignore... Um, like some of the tropes of like, all right, let's make sure we work with DC villains. Let's make sure we introduce a couple of recognizable touchstones because the way 775 is, it's nice and self-contained. And I, I do think you can come to it as a as a fresh reader, but starting with the big giant monkey uh, who's blown up and, and collapsed right. all over the country, you know, like it just may not make any sense. So here we at least contextualize it within the animated DC universe, which, uh, you know, we thought was important. And you'll, And you'll see, you know, the changes from the book to the to the film um, are all meant to sort of expand the understanding of what the core concept is and translate it to an audience that are not necessarily comic book fans. They understand, you know, it's modern politics, it's it's uh, current events, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. th that was a goal. And I just love this scene you just did because you see the anger in Superman and how he has to kind of hold back because you. You see the destruction that was caused, and like, you're not going to get that lake back. It's now contaminated. It's got radioactive, toxic waste. It's a, that was pretty cool. No animated fish were harmed in the <laughs> filming of that scene. And there's the introduction to the baddies. Indeed, I love I love Manchester's voice too. It was so cool to see these guys come to life, and I I love the style. Um, you know, Doug's art, uh, Doug Maki, who uh, did most of 775 with Libra Mayo. They, um, his art style is so tough to capture in animation because it's so heavily detailed. He puts so much effort in all the, all the little noodly bits. And uh, but what I think they grabbed from it was, you know, the level of exaggeration and the, um, 
Yeah, sort of anger. Yeah. Yeah, it's like there's just they their designs drip with anger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's just nasty, and I like the fact that they kept all the the hats uh, drinking powers <laughs> to conjure his magic. <laughs> Uh, again, this is another deviation from the original. Any reason for going with this kind of scene? Yeah, again, this is to, you know, to, there were two reasons for it. One was to personalize Superman's story. You know, we talked about, we understand sort of in a global way. I mean, here he lays out his whole argument. You know, I have to, I have to behave a certain way just because I'm powerful doesn't mean I'm above the law. But we wanted to also personalize it, so he has a little bit of a relationship with this uh, Professor Baxter, and um, and you know we'll see how that all sort of manifests as the story goes on. But then also put it on a world stage at this sort of UN equivalent, because um, since it wasn't going to be strictly about superheroes and supervillains, and it was going to be more about politics, this seemed like a, a proper setting to to set those themes and and put it in, in motion. Right, and Baxter's an all-new character, not a pre-existing DC one. Right. My purpose is to help. Yeah, there's probably people we could have picked, but yeah. it's just um, knowing knowing what would happen. I mean, there's a pretty high body count in this uh, story, so you know we had to be careful with who we could and couldn't use. Dying in the streets, no less than they deserve. Limitless potential. And these are our made-up countries of Pakistan and Vialia. Yep. I don't remember if we used Pakistan in, in 775. No, Bialy, I think there's mention of, because mm -hmm. that's a, a DC one. Right. And that's kind of a panel straight from the book, actually, yeah. which is really cool. We're trying to get someone on the ground, but as we've been reporting for the last few weeks, diplomatic efforts between Bialya and neighboring Pakistan have collapsed. One of the things that I was impressed with watching the thing play out was there, I mean, there's a decent bit of exposition in this, and there, there are some chatty bits uh, because we want to get the philosophy across and what's going on, but the guys did an excellent job of moving that along quickly and, and still infusing it with action. You know, it, for me at least, it, it certainly doesn't feel chatty, um, which was something I was worried about. You know, I'm handing in a script where I'm seeing decent blocks of dialogue going, oh, I really hope this is going to look good in a cartoon. <laughs> Right. Well, I think what they did is the level you really understand kind of what Superman's playing against, the calamity and, you know, just the mass destruction that goes on with someone with his powers. I think that's what this captures really well. It's just this opening with the weird creatures and everything. Mm -hmm. In fact, in the DC universe, yeah, it's just not tanks. There's other things that are being thrown around. And now, you know, the introduction of these guys really in action. Um, and Colcast is interesting. I mean, just if you ever told me, you know, that character was going to be animated, I would have never believed it. <laughs> uh, I think it's too bad they put a shirt on him. I liked him when he was really yeah. rugged looking. Uh, <laughs> I understand why he's, why he's a little more cleaned up in this, but they kept the chains on him, which was mm -hmm. cool. You know, I mean, all the guys in the elite sort of wear their, their anger on their sleeve, I mean, as a, as a sort of badge of honor. Uh, and that's why Colcast has the the chains. It's it's part of his his character and sort of embracing that, um, you know, that aspect of his personality and history. Well, she's pretty nasty. I think animated, she grosses me out even more. <laughs> Actually, they did more with her than originally we talked about because um, 
in the initial development of the the script, they were saying, you know, Menagerie is going to be really hard to animate, all the different critters. So can we just sort of keep it to like one mega critter? And ultimately, they didn't do that. I mm -hmm. mean, it's she's got all the spores and she's got all the different bits that fly off of her, and it's. Uh, I think they do a great job, especially when she's flying through the air and stuff. It's sick. Yeah, and her meeting with Superman right there, that little scene is really kind of nasty coming yeah. up. <laughs> and again, everything gets destroyed and blown up, which is great. It's not alive. So if you don't mind setting aside the kick gloves. I, I just love Manchester. He just, uh, I, you know, I love him in the books and uh, as a character, he was so much fun to write, but um, he comes off so great in this. Well, as soon as he's introduced, he's cursing, so, you know. Just... <laughs> Which actually, you know, one of the stories that uh, I know we wanted to talk about was the, the original script. Yeah, um, on this, which, which yeah, made my, my career as an editor, you know, almost very short. <laughs> the... Uh, when I wrote this, like Eddie said, you know, it did come from kind of a place, a uh, little bit of anger. And when I when I write emotionally, I tend to write fast. And so the idea for me, and I, I had warned him, I said, you know, I'm writing this script as if there were no rules and we'll fix it later. So Manchester is swearing like a truck driver and like everybody is just raunchy. And that's the script that ended up on Mike Carlin's desk, right. who was editor in chief <laughs> at the time. And, uh, and you could take it from there because I wasn't there for the atomic explosion. Yeah, it was fun because, um, you know, I, I just gave it to Mike. My, my own fault for not giving, you know, the, the preamble that Joe had given me. So I just said, hey, there's some hard stuff. I did say there's some hard stuff in here. You might want to look at it. And as he's reading, he's writing notes. And, and as each note with each page, the pen is going deeper and deeper into the page. And he's just <laughs> yelling, no, never. This is not a Superman story. This language and just like scribbling on it, like underlying things. And a lot of he was yelling on paper. It was <laughs> amazing. Cause, um, and then he comes in with what's great after that is when he got to the end and everything is revealed, he went, oh, OK and he kind of backed off. He still thought we were going to use every curse there, so I got a little talk about that. But um, <laughs> but it was just funny to see his reaction, which is what we wanted, just the outrage that people were going to get from this story. Because the thing we had talked about as we were coming into a 775 of action, one that, that book has a history, and then how do you celebrate it? Here's an anniversary. What do you do? And while Joe was coming at it, again, from, from something he was seeing, my own thing was that I, I do get tired of the fact that Superman gets taken for granted. Because I think he's one of those characters that emotionally he's so easy to get. And he is powerful and all that. And there's nothing corny about him. I think there's just something, you know, it's just so unique. And, and to me, he's always been a character that, that gets pushes you to elevate yourself. Mm -hmm. Batman's easy to get because he, he, it does come from that anger. Everybody wants to get some sort of revenge on someone. But with Superman, it's no, it's turning that other cheek and doing something better. So I think we were, we were both coming at that, and we, we hit it with this story. You're lucky I'm even letting you fly me there. Once we hit the ground... I mean, it always strikes me that, uh, as interesting, that we're, you know, we're not far away from a time where the character of Superman will be older than most people living on the planet. And so he's been around, you know I mean? Like, we look at him as, uh, I mean, <laughs> when we went to that Superman museum, I remember, in, uh, in Metropolis, you know, we asked the daughter of the owner oh what's it like you know you're on superman all the time and she's like well it's kind of like having an uncle who won't leave <laughs> and uh and i think there are people who do sort of look at superman as just a fixture who's never going to change and he's always going to be there 
and um and yeah he is he is always going to be there and there are elements of them have of him that shouldn't change because of what they represent but you take those and then put them through the filter of current events or a modern audience or just modern sensibilities and you can get some really great stories out of it um because it gets boring and difficult to try to come up with new ways to punch them in the face and make them bleed and yeah then you just wind up in the land of like all right well we've got magic so we can cut them or whatever uh, it's or always the worst get... is kryptonite which right. is the thing yeah that we avoid that was like the thing we would just not we wouldn't go there yeah so yeah we definitely tried for a long time and uh but so but you can always get a new character layer with superman you know and and that's the stories that i like the the most when i when i read them or i see them play out they always come from character his relationship with batman his relationship with the league um and his sort of unfailing or unwavering uh adherence to his ideals and one of the fun things about this story, and I think you really pushed me on this in, in terms of writing it for the comics, was just if he didn't question himself, then it really didn't work. Right. So he had to be pushed to a point where the whole world is cheering for the elite, and he's wondering, has the world really moved on? Like, am I living in the past? Is this the wrong way to deal with criminals and deal with the world and deal with injustice? And I love those scenes the best. I mean, that's where Lois really shines in the book, I think. Um, and same same here, you know, when they have their moments together. Yeah, and at the same time, you show, like, in the scene, you show how dangerous it is. This world is, you know, on this kind of tipping point that it could go because you have these beings that basically could blow up everybody. Incoming. It's the big guy. Hello again. Come on, you lot. He doesn't bite. That's a pity. Big fella goes by Coldcast. The Hats, our resident master of Hocus Pocus and Fortune Cookie Wordsmith. Your lucky numbers are four, eight, fifteen, and... I'm Menagerie, but you can... <laughs> I love his look there. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Mike Carlin's reaction to all this initially. <laughs> but there you go. Down, girl. Good to meet you all. Their little relationship is fun. I mean, that was definitely uh, in the book and, and in subsequent stories that involved the elite cold cast and menagerie having this kind of uh, love-hate relationship. Sorry. I heard your telepathic shout before, but my mind is protected from anything deeper by a series of psychic blocks. Best I've seen, too. Got a few skeletons rattling around. <laughs> Just yeah, the animators did a lot of nice little acting bits. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's great stuff, great character stuff on these guys uh, that I, you know, I, I really enjoyed seeing it come to life. I mean, they, um, you know, you never know if you're going to see anything that you create in comics in another media. So when you get to see it and you get to see those those little uh, elements that really bring them to life, I find it really exciting. And I love that, like, black effect around his eyes. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they just did some really, really great stuff with these characters. See you at dinner. We didn't have this in the comic. We didn't flesh him out. So this would come out later when the Elite got their own book. The mm -hmm. sister and everything. So I thought that was neat. Yeah, it was cool that, um, you know, again, uh, working with Alan, you know, they wanted to get a little bit of backstory. They thought it was important. And, and obviously focusing on Manchester, um, 
as opposed to the elite as a whole. I mean, I think I had a couple of scenes that actually showed some of their dossiers or whatever a little bit more uh, visually, and uh, it just took up a lot of space. What we care about is Manchester, so that's why the focus was there. And, and this stuff did play out later on um, in the in Justice League Elite. And, and right, that's when Vera became an important character. Mm -hmm. Vera. It's a sweet little scene. Like with all Joe Kelly things, it's sweet on the top, and then you dig down and it becomes dark and <laughs> all sorts of menace. Uh, yeah, there's no there's no nice children in my universe. <laughs> They're all pickpockets and He's the father of two speaking. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> my kids will be sitting there going, Do you don't mean us, do you? No, you guys are okay. You've only committed a few crimes that I won't admit to. <laughs> Thought it was puberty, you know, headaches. The feeling that but again, it's it, it was cool having the latitude of um, what you could do in a in an animated show like this. Um, things that we can we can do in comics, and we did in the Elite. You can actually show kids sort of that are a little bit more complicated, giving giving Manchester a route that we could really identify and and relate to uh, is so critical, so that he doesn't just come off as a maniacal, you know, uh, narcissist all the time. So you see this sort of horrible father and you see that upbringing and um, you can, I think anybody can relate to it. whether or not you came from that, you certainly understand, okay, somebody who, who grew up in this destructive environment is gonna carry a lot of anger. And how is that anger gonna manifest itself over the course of time? I think it's something that, you know, certainly you and I in, in working together always tried to hit, which is that the villains can't just be hand-wringing, you know, I'm going to take over the earth. I mean, we, we always avoided that as much as we could. Right. Well, our, our villains always thought they were right, and they, I don't think, would ever call themselves villains. In fact, right. If anything, they thought they were the heroes, mm -hmm. which is, just, yeah, this is the perfect example of. Yeah, and it's important because otherwise it's just too easy to sort of blank out and go, oh, okay, here's the bad guy who's going to get punched. So to have a little bit of this and see where they come from and, and give them a little bit of backstory, um, I think is critical. Yeah, I liked it because you really started, you know, to empathize with where Manchester was coming from. It's funny where the lines do get drawn, though. We did actually, it was actually written in the script because in the comics, she, uh, her arms were gone in that scene. And... Um, and they were like, no, we're not ripping off our arms. <laughs> so again, in the dark Joe Kelly universe, uh, the arms would have been gone, but they, they stayed. Not an accident. Repeat, this is an attack. It's funny watching this, actually seeing where the punches got pulled. Um, it's, it's, it's a real testament, I think, to, uh, to, again, working with Alan. I mean, I just, I can't. You know, we worked very closely on the script, and, and he's such a pro, and he's so nice, and the and he's so smart. And knowing where to sort of draw the line, even though we sort of had the gloves off, uh, was great. Because then when something nasty does happen, it has a little bit more shock value, as opposed to it just being one horror show after another, you know? And that's, it's good. It's, it's something you always did with me, and it's, mm -hmm. it's important, because left to my own devices, I'd... I just put nightmares on paper all the time and <laughs> send kids screaming. But but here you hit on a, I mean, a great primal fear, you know, living in New York. The idea of being caught, you know, in a subway underwater and everything is just like the scariest thing. 
<laughs> yeah, th this was fun. And again, this is a scene that's not in the original comic. Um, this sort of was a, uh, I don't know, there was a sense that the elite were going to sort of work with Superman in the comic, but we needed kind of more of a set piece and wanted to vary it up so that it wasn't just against another supervillain or a monster. And again, tying it to the politics and the terrorism aspect of the story. So uh, that was, again, a suggestion uh, from Alan to put this scene in and really see them work together in an interesting way, see the powers get used in an mm -hmm. interesting way. I love that. Yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> interesting way, but also you see Superman pushing Manchester to do good mm -hmm. and pushing his power, which comes back around. Yeah, it's so again, it's so important to see these guys actually try because I think, you know, if this was real life and you ask Manchester at this point, sort of what does he think he's doing, he he doesn't have like an insidious plan. I mean, I don't think he's sitting there going, Oh, I, I have every intention of unseating Superman. I think he really does want to do the right thing. And this is sort of a moment where he's inspired by Superman. Mm -hmm. Uh the problem is is that power immediately goes to to his head and his sort of you know darker underpinnings have to come forward there's nothing else he can do right like you said it's because superman questions himself and his power that makes him who he is but here you just see if you don't if you just go with like no i i have the power and that makes it right for what i do mm -hmm. and again there's mm -hmm. cool menagerie powers yeah. which i wasn't totally expecting. and then there he is I, he, <laughs> to me he steals his food <laughs> Even though it was a Superman comic and we had to be still aware of the comics code and all that sort of stuff, we were we were looking at, you know, the authority as a paradigm and exploiting that. So, you know, we were even turning up the volume on what those types of anti-hero characters were. So there was already kind of a, a precedent set, I think, for us to build from. Um, and then it was just to, uh, <laughs> in part for comedy, you know, uh, the hat especially just because of the way he he performs in the comic and and actually it's he's pretty funny in the in the in the cartoon too yeah, i, I mean, wasn't kidding just... i think he really does steal because it's it's a nice little bit that seeing it animated and coming to life it's a little funnier him pulling out the different drinks from right and, and also when he's just second. chilling out like he's just yeah. such a laid back like weirdo but it, it was important to have them all have their little quirks because again it was sort of power unchecked so you know what happened i mean it's that you know power absolute power corrupts absolutely and and it manifests in all of them in a different way and about england's support of bialia you're killing her stop can't just let them get away with it though can we we won't but not like that why the hell not no less than they deserve and obviously that's you know the first time we're really seeing the superman manchester conflict externalized and then followed by the nasty kiss and I love the way this is picked up. So was it the trashy outfit? I love that. Gluing slugs to my face. Maybe an iguana. It was a moment. Pam was overexcited. Pam? See, and that's what I always liked, that the, the relationship was real, but this is the, the reaction you would get from a girlfriend, wife. They're new and excitable. Yeah, and I just, I love the way these lines are delivered. I mean, she just, she really knocks it out of the park. <laughs> You're the minority. The net's on fire. People love these guys. They didn't see the part where Black almost lobotomized the two Pakolistani terrorists. That would have sealed it. What do you mean? 
I mean, some people think terrorists should get what they deserve, as slowly and painfully as possible. Is that what you believe? See, and I like that. That that brings it all together. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the things that really impressed me too with how they uh, animated the the show, and it's it's really a. Uh, testament to the direction is that they pulled off the silences. It's so hard to pull off the silence and a look in animation. Um, you don't have those the subtle nuances, you know. And they really managed to do it a bunch of times, um, which was great. It's always nice to take lines out and have a look sell the moment as opposed to um, a line of dialogue. Evening, morning. But I really love that scene too. I love Lois admitting. You know, yeah, I'd like to see some terrorists get strung up, you know, and get what they deserve. I mean, it's uh, it's a very human moment. And real. That's that's the thing. Again, it was like we were dealing with what's the real world versus what's Superman's world. Mm -hmm. And can they coexist? We're not bound by lines on a map or political alliances or governing bodies of any kind. We are our own bosses, and we have a very simple job. There are the good guys, namely us, and the bad guys. Namely, anyone who treats anyone else like trash to further their petty aims. We turn bad guys into memories. So mind your manners, lads and lasses, or we'll blow your house down. We're the elite. You asked for us, world. Now you got us. At least they picked a name. That speech was pretty much d directly out of the comic. See, Dad? That's how you do it. No one's gonna pull something with the elite. And again, another silent shot. I mean, mm -hmm. really nice direction and great on the reaction and close-ups. Yeah, and those guys, you know, seeing the Baxters, again, it's a way to sort of personalize and, and have them be uh, the voice of the people who are starting to dig the elite and, and uh, you know, get on the bandwagon. Yeah, and you also have what, what would be the older fan versus the younger fan and the comic book readers where you have older comic book readers want their Superman to stay very vanilla, mm. and you have the younger ones who were going for all the other comics that had all the issues that, that brought up your anger. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my anger. I'm really not this angry all the time. I just want to <laughs> commit that to audio. Although I guess my kids will tell you whether or not that's true. You like picking on those weaker than you. Defenseless. Oh, and there she goes again. And the nastiness. Is that uh, Walter Koenig screaming there? Uh, Just a little homage. That, you know, that image as a kid uh, freaked me out so badly. It's just, it's one of those things like you talk about, you know, being a New Yorker, being afraid of getting trapped on the subway. A worm crawling in my ear. <laughs> that is that is a moving memory that feels like it happened in real life. Um, so, yeah, it probably pops up in anything I do. Now, was there any reason for the, the change in design in the Superman robots here? Uh, not not that I know. Um, mm -hmm. I think uh, to keep them from certainly from looking like Superman, mm -hmm. I would just imagine is, uh, again, for somebody who might be un uninitiated to the comics, right. you know, if all of a sudden they saw this house full of Superman, you might have to explain it. And um, this way you just know their assistance and, and that's that. Yeah, they become really important here. How many of them contain the phrase? Yeah, and that was um, that actually became a story element uh, as well. You know, when when we were some of the things that I think we could take for granted in the comic um, because of who the audience is and, and what comic readers are used to and used to seeing Superman doing, we just weren't comfortable doing in the film. We wanted to make sure the certain things, uh, not that they were spelled out, but just that you could understand them and you could logically wrap your head around them 
even if you had never seen one of these DVDs before. So having the, the assistance uh, superbots really helped. Right, right. Thank God for the elite. Finally, someone with the power to say what we're all thinking. Not all of us. Might makes right has never been a productive philosophy. So instead, you'd rather have <laughs> tea with terror. There you go. That's me writing too much. <laughs> Set aside the rhetoric and analyze what Mr. Black said. He said he's going to kick some ass. Without the rule of international law, diplomacy, dialogue. Dialogue? There are people you cannot talk to. That's who the elite are for. But what happens when the elite turn their attentions away from those people and turn them towards you? Why the hell would they do that? I'm American. We're the good guys. And get more shots straight out of the book. That that one, that yeah. sequence right there is straight from 775. And that the business where, you know, the pundit is talking right there, uh, you know, we're American, we're the good guys. I mean, that's obviously this this is really a lot more political than than 775 was i think 775 had it as a subtext was interesting too is you got to revisit it and again with what had happened in the real world that we on the Superman books really faced on because before then you know buildings crashing and falling down and all that had been you know just fantasy mm -hmm. and then after 9-11 all of a sudden our approach to Superman had to change a bit yeah big time for us yeah especially which unfortunately we had buildings that were on you know Lex Towers which were two buildings and they were on fire and fans thought we had planned that and quite the opposite that's what we do in comics we blow up stuff and all of a sudden it wasn't like you know a thing for entertainment yeah and it and nobody realizes that the comics are done six months in advance right right and uh yeah it just happened to come out that day you got terrorist on you i like that the line you got terrorist on you stayed i was very happy about that <laughs> it's me it's all over now I was just thinking about some of the other, you know, talking about Superman in the real world and how he's perceived. Uh, I'd done another story. You know, some of my proudest moments of comics uh, are involved with Superman. Writing this story was one of them. And another one was when we did a Justice League story that was sort of questioning in a fictional way the, uh, the war in Iraq. And it was written during the hearings. I mean, it was written during the UN hearings. So again, the book came out eight months later, but it was written while we were watching, you know, grainy photos of 
oh yeah, this is weapons of mass destruction and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And uh, and I think it was Joe Scarborough called DC Comics the rat of the week for having Superman mm-hmm. as the mouthpiece for the liberal agenda. And it just, uh, I love that. Um, it, you know, I don't, I don't, I take no glee in how any of that stuff worked out, but it's just, it, it was, that's what these characters can do. You know, I mean, it's easy to look at them strictly as entertainment and keep them really sort of light and bouncy, but they work so well as a vehicle for discussing ideas and issues and things that affect people in, in real life. It, I, I feel it's important to do that as often as possible. Um, not to be on the soapbox all the time. I mean, you can't, uh, then you might as well just go write political commentary, but it's it's great when you can infuse it in a story, I think. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, when you first came on, my, my big speech was, remember, Superman's going to be always bigger than you, so be careful what kind of stories you tell. Right. Because they're going to kind of resonate. Yeah, well, Eddie literally said to me, because uh, I, I was coming off Deadpool, so my my reputation is for foul mouth humor and stuff. And he's like, "When Superman gets a haircut, it's on the cover of Time magazine. So <laughs> don't do any of that nonsense here." Uh, so it worked out okay. Yeah, and then you got to do this, and, and here we are now. And Superman says, "Wanker." <laughs> we take down the bodies. They stay down. Isn't that better for everyone? We are not above the law. We have to show the world that there's a better way. The people can be better. But that's the problem. They can't. I love how matter-of-fact Manchester is, too. Like, again, he genuinely believes, like, people just cannot be better. Silver flowing with sick puppies. Original sin in 36 flavors. I'm not an idiot. I know there are bad men in power. It's not a perfect world. But we can't just throw morality in the garbage. You don't have a clue what it means to live in fear, do you? To wonder why no one can stop the bogeymen who knock down skyscrapers or blow up schools. Well, we do. Human beings do. We understand fear all too well. So now we're wiping the earth free of... And again, that sequence was all pretty much directly out of the book. Yeah, although we didn't have skyscraper mentions back then. You're welcome for the rescue. Pony. Black. Again, echoing, yeah, the two philosophies there. (laughs) (laughs) If this is a problem, I can cut you in 10%. Yeah, the sucker punch of sending him to the big super sale, I, I was really happy that that stayed, too. I mean, I think it's a it's a good comedy moment, but it is that, you know, Superman having to look at himself, and like Lois warns him in the beginning, you know, you've got to always watch out how the world perceives you. And that's where we were, because we were looking at, like, you know, all the merchandise and stuff and all the, the, the kid toys and all that, and then again, how relevant has this character, you know, kind of degenerated mm-hmm. well and and you know again he is the most recognizable character on the planet I, I forget what the stats are like if he beats out mickey mouse or vice versa but everyone knows who superman is and you know, it's a double-edged sword and and for me you try to use that then as a as a vehicle to tell stories that affect people um but i also understand the other side of it where he's a commodity and you know, it's important to protect them too. So it's a it's a fine line, but yeah. if you don't try to keep him relevant or or push those those boundaries, then he does just become simply a brand, and it's easy to take him for granted. Yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that taking his underwear off now in his costume becomes such a big deal that people talk <laughs> about is just you know, again, a testament to how this character is. Yeah, 
and that was Vera. That was Vera's appearance in the book as a uh, in the film as a grown up, and that was actually kind of fun uh, just to see her, even though. I knew she wasn't going to play a big role. It was cool to see her because, as a character, I love Vera. Um, yeah, and Vera went on to lead the elite in the comic book because a bunch of stuff happens to Manchester. Yeah, and, and Vera, just as a character, you know, what she says in those few lines there, um, she's really trying to make up for what Manchester has become and, and hoping she can save him. I'm glad this scene stayed, because, again, this humanizes him so much. Yeah. Including the Jeff Loeb apple pie. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. This this part actually was done by Lee Bermejo, mm -hmm. and I love that they took the, the whole kind of how he staged this, which is a lot of the profiles and him just looking into the sun. Mm-hmm. And it's settings, which is kind of like, you know, it's so symbolic, you know, the whole thing. It's like it's time setting on Superman, the whole, his whole power and everything. That's almost like we planned that. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I'm, I love this scene. I, I'm, I was so happy to see how it, uh, how it came to life. But when they wise up, and believe me, they will, what matters is that you'll be there for them, leading by example, just like always. Truth, it's weird because for me, it's like I go back and forth of whether the parents should be alive or not. I mean, there's different interpretations. I mean, currently they're not alive in his current time, but I always like that touchstone because mm. it just, again, humanized him in a certain way. It just said that he's just a, you know, small town boy and he depends on his folks. You know, in media where, you know, the parents are always goofballs, it's nice to see that his actually counted for something. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I love Ma and Pa Canton. I understand the dramatic value of eliminating one or the other or both at any given time, but certainly on our our run together on the book, it was they were so important to me, yeah. and and I just uh, I thought they gave so much to to Superman as a character, and and it was stuff that I could tap into too. I mean, we all have you know relationship with our parents to various degrees of of complication. Um, and where I could tap into that, I, I thought, you know, it's the same as tapping into the sort of husband-wife relationship. I mean, it's just you can get some real emotional meat and put that onto Superman, which maybe you didn't expect. Right. The one you told me the story was about, you know, your father always checking the house to see that all the doors locked. And how you applied that to Superman was really cool. Yeah, that was in a New Year's Eve, uh, right, story we did, a holiday right, story. Right, right. Yeah, there's definitely plenty of stuff I worked in both from not just my parents, but also uh, actually my wife's parents. The voice of Ma Kent in the comics is <laughs> a lot of it is my mother-in-law actually, because uh, she was a re she's a very uh, she raised a lot of kids and uh, she's a tough lady and uh, very strong. Yeah, I think we give a shout out to Dottie. And, yeah. and she is you know meeting her. I could see that. Yeah. Another cool scene where, the, you know, you get to just cut loose with the powers and how much collateral damage there is. That was the point of, of this as far as just to show them cut, cutting loose, because, again, not a scene in the original book. Yeah, it's them uh, cutting loose and specifically in Metropolis, like that they went to his home turf to show him in his own backyard that they can sort of do the job better than he can. Uh, it's Manchester stepping up his game. I really 
have to sober up now. And then showing that they're a little bit out of their depth, too. You know, the, the skull is significantly more powerful than they expected. Because Manchester's anger, you know, ultimately is fear. I mean, that, that's his sort of reaction to things. And, you know, when faced with something that he can't handle, he, he panics. And that panic comes out as, as force and brutality. And uh, it's probably, you know, it's a, similar for most of the elite. But with Superman, it's sort of a calm determination. So to illustrate kind of how the two of them handle this situation differently. Uh, it was sort of the, one of the elements of the scene. Right. But again, to personalize it, you know, I, I was actually shocked when I looked back at the book when we were very first starting the adaptation, how much stuff happens off panel. You know, we talk about the elite cracking the moon and all this kind of stuff. There's so many things that are just discussed as opposed to shown because of the way we did it. And it's almost like happening in real time. It happens so fast, you know. Um, so we had an opportunity to show a little bit more. Uh, and it was also critical for for it as a film to make sure we had good set pieces and action. Also the fact that, you know, these fights should kind of hurt civilians. We, we try not to say that, but I mean, right. in reality, you're, you know, you're dealing with this kind of power in a populated area, someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. Yeah, there are dozens of empty city blocks in Metropolis and Gotham City. <laughs> Just abandoned buildings. Yes, if I can get that sucker before he gets me. Oi, you I think also for me, this is a, it was another moment for Superman and the elite where if they just made a different choice their their relationship could have actually moved forward in another way you know like Manchester saying you can't lead my team and Superman's trying to teach him to do the right thing and ultimately Superman's right he you know creates a distraction and allows Coldcast to get in there and and shut the skull down so he Superman is right but then Manchester's ego kind of can't let him he can't accept it. Um, so it's sort of this point of no return sequence where it's like, okay, if they if they just do the right thing here, if they just, you know, stand by Superman, we can get Superman and the elite. It'll be fantastic. And he just can't do it. Your buggered mate. Give my regards to Satan then. Yeah, he's got to go the extra nasty. The strikers. Back to jail. Are you daft? This is what happens. More pain. More suffering. Look, I gotta say, you made uh, Atomic Skull really cool. And I can't wait to use him in the books. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, that's uh, I'll, I'll definitely give credit to uh, to Alan and the guys uh, who put him together and made him cooler because it, it was slightly different in my original script because it was the parasite. Um, the skull was a little bit, uh, like I said, he came in later, but they they told me they were using the skull. And I was like, all right, let me see how it plays out. And he's, he's really freaky and mm -hmm. cool. It's your fault. You beat him already. You did it your way, in, and he failed. Is that the world you want? And then getting back to you know Terrence and uh, and his father. I mean, we wanted to again personalize this conflict in a way that had a direct impact on Superman. So even though it's really tangential, and you get the sense that maybe Superman knows Terrence's dad, maybe they've had some time together having that kid say kill him and you know have his dad sort of dying in his arms and all that kind of stuff really brings it home yeah. and it really makes it super personal so if by this point in the movie 
people aren't getting it or it, it seems abstract, that concretizes it, you know, beyond a shadow of doubt, especially for Superman who had to sort of look at that kid. And I love that he lays the yeah. cape over him. That's just such a cool moment. Listen, I like Superman. Who's that supposed to be? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even hazard to guess. What's not to like? The elite are terrorists. They have allied themselves with Bialia and perpetrated acts of war against our nation. This will not be tolerated. I've lived in I like that background too. I think it's old baby. <laughs> Which is the store now I want to open. <laughs> acts of aggression will no longer be tolerated. And not a Superman, nor a Manchester Black will stop us from defending our borders. Kill them all and let God sort it out. Superman's done. This is the age of the elite. Actually, even one of those little newspaper images uh, is a Doug cover. It's a, uh, his, one of his first shots yeah. of the elite, isn't it? Not fair. Someone else be Superman. Not it. But you wanted to be Superman. In this sequence, which I, I love a lot. Yeah, that was right out of the comic. That was, and that, it was funny actually writing that sequence. Uh, I mean, I like I've said from the beginning, I was, I was kind of emotional in the story, but the um, having a kid say Superman sucks was like a little knife in my own dark heart. Where right. I was just like, oh, that's really sad. If I was <laughs> Superman, that would really make me sad. But that you know, that was the world that we're trying to generate at this point. This is him as a lonely king. It's kind of really interesting. Mm -hmm. Clark? Clark? I called Kansas and Ma said you're not there. So pick up your stupid hologram thing or I'll kick your butt when you get home. I like that you, again, how important she is to his life. Sweet talker. And that as tough as she is, she's, she's actually got a really good heart. She's so real. I mean, she's not going to lie to him. And that's, like we said, she talks back to Superman. I mean, you know, this is the woman he's actually afraid of, I think, in some way, because she's, <laughs> she, she's a real wife. And, and like I said, I've always loved the way that Joe has written her because she is a, a real person. She's a partner. She's there to challenge him. And that's the thing that, you know, as Superman, you know, without, you know, him throwing down with a villain, he doesn't get that from anybody. And she balances him out in such a great way. I mean, it's, you know, it's certainly, again, in my childhood, you know, taking from the films, probably more from the comics, but I just love her. She's tough as nails. She doesn't take crap from anybody. And, uh, but it's all with a really good heart. And that's, I mean, they're attracted to each other on, on a spiritual level. I mean, they're, you know, they're the same person in terms of what they believe in, but her cynicism and his idealism just make a perfect match. Mm -hmm. Well, they're both driven. That's the, that's right. the wonderful thing. Yeah, they really are like one of the best power couples in comics, you know what I mean? Like that that relationship, you can just, you can embrace it and love it and, you know, I love writing Lois. I mean, I just, uh, <laughs> Eddie used to tell me uh, he could tell if it was a good day or a bad day in my house based on the script. <laughs> and my wife has certainly heard that. He'd call and be like, so, uh, having a tough time with uh, Mrs. Lois at home there, huh? <laughs> So cliche and you don't fit in anymore. Mad scientists, idiots in underwear, bank robbers, knock yourself out with that lot. But the real work, fixing the world, is ours. Starting tomorrow with Bialia. I'm shutting you down. 
Right. Maybe this time they'll learn that crying doesn't pay. <laughs> I love how that comes back to haunt him. <laughs> <laughs> that looks cool i just i love how all of these uh these animated projects are just they get better and better as they go along it's just they're so cool the amount of detail and the you know, backgrounds and really become super cinematic i just love them well look like i mean the nice thing is the desaturation of the art as it goes on and the elites start taking control you see that even in the animation it starts getting you know less color mm. so it's a neat thing they did here that's cool. I didn't even pick that up. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah, because gone are the, the big monsters, the purples and all that that we heard leading in the, be in the beginning. And now look at the sky. It's dreary. Mm -hmm. Gray ships dropping things. Yeah, and there he comes. So it's, again, he's, he's that hope and color. Right. Look at you, knowing what you're talking about. Crazy. <laughs> I always love doing these things when we did them in the books, because it's just like the, the hope he represents. Mm -hmm. Again, I think that's the thing for us, that we never for once thought that Superman was corny. Right. I mean, he stood for, I mean, you know, I'm, you know, we all can identify with him in different ways, that loner aspect of him, and the way the, the orphan, even with his parents there, his real parents died. Mm -hmm. I think if you go into Superman thinking he's corny, you're you're automatically on the wrong foot and it's going to be a disingenuous run and I, I feel like that comes through when when certain people have tried to write him you know i mean there's always a thing where you know again like we said before you want to make him relevant to a modern audience and you know technology changes and you know science changes and so you want to write a character for the times but if you walk into it and go he's corny I'm going to make him badass and all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, it has to go beyond that. That's what I'm trying to make you understand. Yeah, and this did a great, you know, great show of just showing how powerful he is. Because I think that's what people take for granted. He's, he's, you know, he's a weapon of mass destruction just walking around. Right. And, you know, cut loose is how bad he could be. Mm-hmm. And more nasty elitists. <laughs> this is definitely the highest body count I've seen in one of these yeah. in a long time. Escalate until this dung heap of a region was turned to glass. No effect. No, you didn't. The only logical thing to do was to slot the whole Megillah and start over. So congratulations, children. Your leaders are all dead. Peace reigns supreme. No. I like the way that they turned this into a moment. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the way we did it in the comic, it didn't have that. You saw it after the fact. You saw it, you know, he punched him, and then you could see it was all, all around the world. But to have that sort of slow-mo, everybody's watching, because they all care about the elite, and they all love it, and they want to see what happens. Yeah. That was such a cool moment. In a week, people will forget these countries ever existed. But they'll never forget the day Superman declared war on their favorite son. 
Write your wills. Say your goodbyes. Tomorrow, it's done. There's some good subtle directing in this. I like the way they pull out on stuff. Really mm -hmm. nice. Again, a lot of it started from what Doug had done. Yeah, they did a great job. I'm super proud of it. And, you know, it's just so nice. You hand something in and you never know what's going to happen. I mean, it's... Uh, you build the structure of the house and somebody else comes along and paints it and puts on walls and a roof and all that stuff and I couldn't be happier with, with what came back on the, on this. Yeah, what I like is how nice and intimate this story was because usually you're used to seeing Clark and Lois at the Daily Planet, the hustle and bustle of the planet and here, what's nice about this story, it's, it's these guys as a couple on the couch watching TV, which is just, you know. Right. They have to be stopped. I think they can beat you. And I like the the voice actress they picked because it, it has that kind of harshness to no, it. She's but, so but, good. but yeah, but at the, but you see that what she's saying ultimately it's sweet in that scene, which I really like the fact that it's about the two of them, and that is such a you moment because you you always brought it whatever it was about it was about Superman coming home to Lois, and that to him was how he won, not mm. that he captured the bad guy, but the fact that he got to go to his loved one. That someone believes in humanity strongly enough to, to die for them. But that scene, again, you know, the sort of, I don't think you could beat them uh, moment coming from Lois. You know, I, I really like that aspect of her character, that she will not lie to you. I mean, she's, she's not going to lie to her husband because they are partners. Mm -hmm. And yes, the world sees him as Superman. And maybe the world is thinking at this point, the elite could probably take him down. But to hear it from her, that's, you know, that, that's punching Superman right in his heart. Show yourselves. And she's never going to beg him not to go. Right. So that's as close as she's, she's going to get, you know. So it's, uh, I thought they, they did an awesome job selling that scene. That's what Lois is there for, just to keep him real. I think that's, you know, we've always said in so many ways that she's what grounds him. Pretty flash entrance, in it? Our bunny's a keeper. Some people have no sense of theater. <laughs> You always had a way of just throwing the little line, the little <laughs> bon mot that just would, yeah. <laughs> well, it's fun. It's always fun writing bad guys. Through to interested parties. Want everyone to see it's a fair fight, yes? Crackers. Bonnie, darling. And we did, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with the original comic, uh, there, we did put it in the script at, at one point, the <laughs> dead giant uh, 2001 alien baby, uh, and just decided it was <laughs> one layer too many. Yeah, it came out of nowhere, and at this point, it was, uh, we just want to get to the, the battle and, and stay focused. It's the climax. Yeah, we threw in a bunch of things. I mean, the thing that's missing from here is all the samurai heroes. Maybe we can all get out of this in one piece. You're an inconceivable wanker. Pay attention, would-be superheroes and glorious people of Earth. School's in session, and Professor Chester's gonna learn you how the world will work from this day on. Rule number one. 
He who has the power makes the rules. Obvious. Rule number two. Joe Glove is a crook. The way that they choreograph this battle while Manchester is giving his little uh, his speech, it just it works so well. And you know, the music and it just yeah it seems like the end this is it yeah and it's it, again it's so cinematic i mean it just it plays it plays great dr black at your service yeah you're you're literally watching the last battle for superman seeing this definitely it definitely made me uh, miss these characters i really i love the elite i mean i really you know beyond i mean when we set out to do 775 we had no clue what it was going to turn into. Yeah, we were hoping for the best, but nothing beyond that. Yeah, it was just the story we wanted to tell. And um, certainly didn't expect that the Elite were going to show up again and then wind up getting their own series or any of that kind of stuff. And that was all, I think, primarily as a result of the fan reaction. I mean, we got so many accolades and people were so into the story and... Uh, and it was nice. I mean, it was just, you always want to get positive fan reaction, but to know that we had sort of struck a nerve with the, with the story uh, meant a lot. Do we have that line in the original? About uh, revenge? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, most of that was taken, you know, expanded on a little bit okay. from the comic, too. No witty ritual. Oh, wait, you're in the middle of a seizure. Sorry, mate. I can't read your mind, but I sure as hell can muck about with your brain. All those capillaries, like little tubes of concrete, but still vulnerable. That was amazing, even in the comic, how much we got to mess him up. It's funny, isn't it? Life of can never give Doug enough credit. I mean, the detail of a beat-up Superman <laughs> when drawn by Doug uh, is a terrifying sight. You know, I mean that the way he looks in the book when he comes out of that cloud and he's angry, it's, it's it sends chills down your <laughs> yeah, spine. It's yeah. it's really something. I remember at that point it's like we had to figure out anchors and all that and it was that page was just so amazing. No matter how badly you massacre one of these thong and blanket types, some shred of their unmentionable still survives the blast. Did my best, boss. At least you got a trophy out of it. It's truth. And I don't know why the capes always survive, but for <laughs> some reason they do. Right. Who else has business to perform on this shroud before we hang it up? I, for one, should like to scrub I my... I finally get it. Thank you. No friggin' way. Yeah, this is spooky. Cool as yeah. Cold cast? Nothing could've. That was like 15 suns exploding in his face. I made the mistake of treating you people like... people. No sonar. Can't smell him either. Just scorched air. But now, I understand better. I'm getting... <laughs> <laughs> Shut your cough. I understand now what the world wants. <laughs> I love it. I, hearing that dark, angry Superman voice is really creepy. Like Batman via uh, Superman, you yeah. know, it's just, it is a creepy moment. 
Listen, do what? He's poisoned the zoo. The buggers won't out. He is supposed to be dead. She's not breathing. Damn it, Chester. She's dead? Bugger me. He's playing it our way. Leave her. Blister the land and flush him out. I can't. Yeah, again, there. This was good. And because even in the script, when we were writing, it's like, how are we doing this? How do we get away with doing the violence? Who are willing to put the animals. Yeah, I love seeing that. It's red eyes. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> What's what makes him scary every time you just see those eyes glowing, you know? That, that's our shorthand that we did in the book. Right. Like, oh, he's mad. Yeah. You did the bad thing. You pissed off Superman. <laughs> Everyone knows Superman can't do magic. Don't let it separate us. Here's a little ancient Chinese secret. <laughs> he's shielded by magic. That wind is clocking it at 500 miles a minute. His body may not be taking any hits, but his lungs just collapsed from the vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Superman horror laugh is great. Brain, shut it down. You thought this through. He's been playing us this whole time. And again, just as a, a you know, credit to the to the actors and the and the directors, it's just those guys are scared. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is it is a scary time and. Uh, absolutely buy it what's nice is that actually the this sets it up better because when you see that Manchester loses it against the atomic skull you see his weakness that he can't he can't face something he starts getting scared and losing control and this was again another variation from the uh, from the comic we brought it back to Metropolis mm -hmm. um, both to personalize it and uh, you know for cooler stuff to animate can go orbit he went into orbit at Mach and to show <laughs> collateral damage you know i love this if you had super hearing any second you'd hear the pop <laughs> that is the scariest thing ever i love that. <laughs> the red eye thing is just it bugs me it's, it's so the, creepy the and wrong yeah, yeah. Your team of killers. Now guess what? They won't be killing anyone else. And I mean, he just looks so monstrous, you know? Like, they just do such a cool job. See? I finally bought what you've been selling! And again, the scary part of whenever Superman allows himself to cut loose. Right. Because we always did that he pulled, he's always pulling his punches. Yeah, and again, you know, talking about character versus the powers, it's, you know, we've had plenty of, of times where like, okay, he's really got to cut loose here and it's, you know, he flies so fast, all the windows shatter and all that kind of stuff. But this coming out of anger, I mean, really being, Superman has lost it and he's done. This here was all the power, but without any of the reason, without any of the compassion. Gone was his connection to Lois, gone was his connection to Pa. It was just the fury, pretty much, of Superman. Like we said, our thing for him, our shorthand was always doing the glowing red eyes. But here, the fact that one of his bloodshot, the rest of his costumes torn, everything that you know that's iconic about the Man of Steel has been literally torn away. And what you have is just this primal beast. I mean, 
that was scary both in script and, and seeing hair animated because you, you're not used to that at all. Um, I know reading it, it was like, how far can we push this? Which is why, you know, immediately I went and gave it to our executive editor at the time because I'm like, I don't know if they're going to let us do this. This is, this is harsh. This is, this is not what everybody's used to. This is not safe, which is what made it so cool. You're not tired. I'm thinking it. Why can't I feel my power? I see. Did you at any time have a, a Lex moment here? Because I know we had Lex for a scene. Uh, yeah, he was uh, in the very first draft of the script. We, I had the Lex scene still in there just as a touchstone to the rest of the world, you know, that Lex is, is around and he's sort of keeping an eye on the elite. But since he never showed up again in the story, we had talked about ways to maybe use him, but ultimately decided not to. Um, and since he's not the president in this Right, right. You know, it was just uh, we just kept them out. Yeah, for those that don't, you don't that don't know, in our continuity, at one point we had Lex Luthor being the president, which made things interesting for us. Yes. <laughs> you taught us that. Oh, he taught you that he's no better than the rest of us. You all saw everyone on earth saw what you did to us, and they know you're no better. There's nothing special about you. You know, again for Manchester, it's just. He has so much to prove and thinks that it's all about, you know, it's, it is all about him. Yes, they did see. They saw the... So to turn it around and be like, see, you're no better than we are, you're no better than we are. You know, that's important to Manchester, not, yeah. oh my God, you just killed all these people or anything <laughs> like that. So easy. Anger. Vengeance. <laughs> Luckily... You really get the sense of what little coward he is deep down. Will be. Look at this place! Chester, I thought you were supposed to be the sharp one. Boys? And you bring it back to the robots having done everything. So I right. thought that was clever, because usually the robots we just use as, you know, gags here and there, but here they become a crucial point to this story. And, yeah, and again, it was sort of an issue with uh, the comic versus a film, because in the comics, we could explain this away relatively quickly, and we've already seen Superman for so many issues able to move, you know, practically as fast as Flash and do all this kind of stuff. So when we did this kind of flashback moment, you just knew Superman handled it all himself. You know, we just didn't question it, but it was important to be able to show it here and, again, make sure it was, it was really clear uh, for the audience that the feasibility was important. I don't even want to think about it very much alive as they're stripped of their powers and prepped for transport to a superman. And the, the superbots seemed like a good way to do it. It didn't feel like a cheat. Yeah, between that and bringing it back to Earth, I thought that those were nice changes that actually, you know, gave you nice little touchstones and used stuff. I think relatable things. Well, again, you know, one of the great, it really was, you know, I, I keep talking about how much fun it was and, um, Alan was just a fantastic editor and support on this uh, on this project and, you know, would come at me. And, you know, I mean, all the notes were funneled through him, so they could have come from a lot of different places. Lift us up and transform us into something better. You know, working it out and really what's going to work in these notes and what's not going to work. He always got what the core of the story was, right. so he never went away from the story. If it was a plot little element or a new scene or something, he, you know, he was really honed in on the, on the theme. And... Um, and never, you know, wasn't afraid to, to go for the risks, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, so it was, it really made it a great experience.
Yeah, and it, it, again, just being in the heart of Metropolis just kind of symbolizes everything. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Now I want to travel back in time and do that in the film. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's a really good scene. That is one of the funny things about, I mean, this is really the first time I've adapted my own work and see, see it play all the way through. And uh, you do have that moment where you're like, oh, could I call myself in the past and have that scene? That was a pretty good scene. Yeah, because it was good. Even this, because it just ends on Manchester and he leaves him. We didn't have, right. like, we should have brought it back to Lois. Like, that was at the core. Mm-hmm. All right, so our, our next thing is going back in time. Yes, anybody <laughs> with a time machine who can help us go back. Uh no, you know, it's, uh, I, I'm so proud of that story, and, and it was just such a funny, how it all came together. It was the first time I ever worked with Doug. If I remember correctly, it was kind of, everything was a last-minute switch. I don't even think I was supposed to write that episode, that issue, you, right? The issue you were, but it's it's Doug coming in, because mm-hmm. he was uh, actually doing another book, and and our artists fell through. So, yeah, I think everything just aligned in a, in a perfect way for that. And we didn't know what our story was going to be. We just knew it was coming up, and it was going to be a standalone. Right, I put the pressure, and you kept pulling, you pushing me off. So I, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. <laughs> <laughs> My usual deadline nightmare. Uh, but it worked out okay. And, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly I couldn't be happier uh, with this. I think it came out really well. And... You know, we joke about it, but I I am really impressed with how far they were willing to push it and, um, you know, maintain the level of uh, maturity that, you know, you would hope to be able to see in a, you know, in a PG-13 rated cartoon. I mean, we don't get to do that very often. So to see it really play out and uh, for me, it works. Uh, I mean, it'll be and I'm sure people won't be shy to tell me (laughs) how they feel. But it'll be really interesting to see uh, how fans react to it, and uh, I hope they love it. You know, it's um, yeah, and it's a statement to you know, Superman's here to stay. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, all of these show that. And and if you want to read about it, it's in a bunch of collections. So I want to do my plug for that. It's in the greatest Superman stories, one of those trades. So oh, people should you. check out the original because I was I, seriously, I was I was really proud when we did this story, and I still am. And obviously, a lot of people like it that you know we got an animated cartoon. Yeah, yeah. So. Guys, thanks again for watching it with us. Uh, This is Joe Kelly. With Eddie Berganza. And I guess we're done. Thank you very much. much.